Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. Alright, this week is kind of special for us because we are going to be starting the Board Game Shenanigans Top 100 Games of All Time. I feel like if you have a podcast, if you do anything in the board gaming industry, you're not legit until you've done your top 100. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. The way we did our top 100, to kind of get into the nuts and bolts of it a little bit, is we're doing the board game shenanigans top 100. We're not doing individual top 100s. Mm-hmm. And this was Natasha's idea. And what she wanted to do is she wanted to combine my top 100 with hers and then create a combined list. Yeah, mostly because we played a lot of the same games. So if we did each did our own top 100, it'd be like half of them would all be the same games. Probably that is true. Because a lot of times when we're playing, we play a lot of the same games together, mm-hmm. mostly because of the podcast too. And mostly because we just play together. So we play a lot yeah. of the same games. So this our is list, true. Our top 50 is all games that we both, we all really like, we both really like. So how did you... Well, I don't want to get into it just yet. Okay. I'll give you the details in a little bit. The deets, as it were. It is Halloween time, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you had a a spooky Halloween game night. Let's let's hear about this and how it went. Yeah, yeah. We wanted to play some spooky Halloween games. And, um, you know, I had no suggestions because I really don't like a lot of those style games. They tend to be a lot of co-op games, a lot of, you know, that very, that kind of generic, like, we're all working together to beat the baddie but we played um london dune london dread sorry london dread and it was really cool because the you the first part of the game was really really good you basically set up all your movement ahead of time you flipped over these cards we each had um special power not special powers but we each had the ability to take out certain things so we had to work together to go around the board and like take out the baddies uh but we had to set up this like little clock ahead of time so we're like okay at two o'clock 2 a.m. I'm going to go to this location. So I need you to also go at this location at 2 a.m. Because that way we can both work together to fight it. So you had this like, you had a 13 minute timer to work, or I think it was 12 maybe, to work together to set it all all up where you go. And that part was really, really cool. And then um, you get towards the end game and you fight all these more baddies and then you can earn dice. So the whole point is to earn as many dice as you can because the big final battle you roll all the dice you earn and if you get enough hits you win so it all comes down to like one single die roll which like totally sucked (laughs) but like obviously the better you do throughout the game you'll gain more dice so then you'll have a better chance of winning but you can still the dice so the dice are um six-sided and only two sides have a hit so you can literally have a really going in with a really good odd have a ton of dice and not hit the monster. So we knew that going in and I still say the game was worth it because the, the it was really interesting how to play the game and how you set up your, I guess, program movement a little bit, but it wouldn't anything, nothing would um, like get in your way of moving that way. But you just, the way you have to set it up and be at the same locations at the same time to be able to fight them together is kind of cool because some locations you can fight on your own. So you can just go there by yourself. Um, so it was, that part was so cool and so worth it. But then that all came down to one dice roll. Yeah, how did you like that? Because I know you hate that kind of ending. Oh, yeah. I totally hated it. But I was warned ahead of time. Our buddy that played the game was like, yeah, this game is really good, but it's all coming down to this one dice roll. So I knew going into it. 
So I set my expectations and I still had a good time. And I was like, all right, we need to play it again. But they didn't want to play it again. <laughs> Just because we did so bad in the beginning, I wanted to like do better. Did you guys but win? No, but we actually did pretty good. But it literally came down to a bad dice roll. Like I was the only one that rolled a hit. And we only needed four hits and I had two of them. And they couldn't roll any of them. Like the, hmm. another dice got a hit. But it was still fun. I don't know that I would recommend the game because of such a terrible ending. But I did hear they had talked about redoing it. I don't know if we're going to. I might wait on this game, see if it comes out with a um, like a second edition and they fix the ending. If so, then I think it'd be worth checking out. And then the other game I finally got around to playing was Betrayal and House on the Hill, which is such a classic game and I never played it. And uh, we had a lot of fun playing that one. It's kind of wild. It can kind of go in any direction because of the different scenarios and whatnot. And our scenario, um, the betrayer ended up being hard for them. And we we beat the betrayer. All, what we had to do was kill the betrayer. And he, he had to kill all of us. And um, we did really well with that. So that was fun. And my one problem with that game is it is incredibly swingy. I've played games where the betrayer there's no way we can beat them. There's no way we could beat the betrayer. Yeah. And then I've played games where it's been the the opposite, where the betrayer has zero chance. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it can be so swingy with that stuff. But I mean, that's part of the charm, I would say. You know, you just don't know. Yeah. You have to go in knowing like the game you play could be completely broken. You could go in and have a completely impossible scenario. You know, or vice versa, where all you have to do is go to this one room and you're already right next to it and then you win, you know, so it can be a complete letdown. So as long as you go into it knowing that, you know, I don't know that it would be a game worth seeking out. But, you know, um, my buddy that brought it, he says he plays it every year on Halloween. Perfect. You know, do that. It was fun. Well, they just came out with a third edition of it. So they just came out with a brand new edition. And I don't I honestly I don't know if it fixes any of those issues or anything along those lines, but. Yeah, I mean they just—I mean they just reprinted it, so. Yeah, it's got a lot of love. Yeah, it's a marathrashy, right? It's you know you just don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah, it was. We had a good time at least, and then we played um, one night Ultimate Werewolf, which was really really fun. I I've never played. I think Werewords is the only like werewolf game I've played. Um, and the one night Ultimate Werewolf, you can we only play it with four players, and it was fun because you've got all these different characters, and it's quick social deduction game but there's a little bit of logic in there you know like at one point i i said i was the troublemaker who switches cards back and forth so i switched tom and jeremy's card and tom was the insomniac and i and tom's like no you didn't switch my card because the insomniac gets to peek at their card at the very end after everybody's messed with them and he's like i had the insomniac in the beginning and now I have the insomniac now. You didn't switch my card. But I was like, I absolutely switched your card. You're lying. And and then finally, we finally, Chris had said he was the drunk, but he was lying. And then Jeremy was like, no, actually, I was the drunk. And I switched Tom's card with a middle with my card. That's what it was. Anyways, we had finally figured out why Tom was right. His card was not switched. And I was right. <laughs> I did switch it. And it was fun because there's a. There's enough logic in it that it's not just like who's lying. You know, you got to try to figure it out and you all have a little bit of information and you don't really want to be the first to spill the beans because you want 
the werewolf the liar to spill the beans first so then you know what they're lying about so then you can be like no 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 that's not true but somebody's got to say something first you know and the werewolf doesn't want to go first because they want to let everybody else tell their story first and then he, they can come up with a story that matches theirs so it's, it's kind of fun like where nobody really says anything who's gonna speak first who was the werewolf <laughs> In that situation, it was, uh, I think it was Chris. Yeah, Chris is always guilty. He was, he was, he doesn't like social deduction games. No, he, he was doesn't. really bad at lying. And I was like, that's because you don't ever play them. You got to get better at them. Because once you get better at them, you'll, you'll come up with better stories to say. Because like he was the werewolf at one point and peaked in the middle and knew there was a seer in the middle. And he said he was another character. And Jeremy's like, no, I was that character. But if he had said he was a seer, which the seer was in the middle, then he could have gotten away with it. So that's just like something you learn. Like if you don't like social deduction games, fair enough. But you do, if you play them a little bit more, you'll learn like how to lie better. Like what to say. It's not like you, that your facial expressions are bad. It's that you like, you have to come up with a good plan that's viable. I don't know. Because whenever I play social deduction games, I always start accusing people. And then I pay attention to what, how they like take it. Uh-huh. So we we, were, we did a cabin con a few years ago pre-COVID and we were playing uh, Deception Murder in Hong Kong with Chris. And at one <laughs> point we were sitting there and you were the forensic scientist, right? Mm-hmm. And at one point I go, Chris is the murderer or something along those lines. And I said it and he looked at me and I was like, oh man, yeah, he is 100%. Because <laughs> he can't lie. <laughs> I, and afterwards he's like dude can you not do that <laughs> i'm like i can try man but it just and then uh uh i we were playing this was uh probably a year ago we were playing um shadows over camelot and my buddy devin was playing with us and at one point i looked at devin and i go it doesn't matter because you're the traitor and he looked at me like and again i go oh man he is the traitor <laughs> And afterwards, he's like, can you not do that? I'm like, that's my thing. I, I don't know. I just start accusing people until I see see how they like change. They they shift their the way they're presenting themselves. It's hilarious. See, I like social deduction games where you don't need to be a good liar to, to, to do well. I like games where you can like logic your way to the liar um, because I, I'd rather figure it, out, figure it out based on the clues of the game than like whether or not somebody is a good liar or not. So I try not to look at people because I don't want to pressure them. Like if they are a bad liar, I want them to be able to get away with it. You know, so I try to use like the other clues in the game. So I like games where there's logic within the games to solve. So you prefer in social deduction, the deduction aspect, which makes way more sense. Yeah. You like the social part of it where you're like, yes. I'm, look, I'm staring into your yeah. soul. Are you lying to me? Yeah, I just, I don't know. It's one of those things that you can start after a while you read body language and you read you know, facial expressions and stuff. Yeah. And I, <laughs> to go back to that deception murder in Hong Kong game. So we were playing and then I think it was the second round we played. I was the murderer mm-hmm. and Natasha was the forensic scientist and she kept trying to give a clue and no one was picking up on it. And she was getting so mad and they had these like little, um, they're little bullets, right? That you set next to stuff. Uh-huh. And she kept like slamming it against the table, like, no, this is like, this is the clue you need to be focusing on. And it's <laughs> so funny. To be fair, I think that was the time that I had the clue of like the 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 weapon was like a kick or something, where somebody was kicked to death. Like that was like the hardest clue ever. Oh, it was so good, so good. I think I won. <laughs> I think I ended up winning that one. 
Probably. Uh, I don't think yeah, anybody got that because yeah. it was bad. It was awesome to see you just squirm. You were so mad. And you kept was... like staring at me and like looking at people and staring at me. I'm like, you're trying to give this away. Stop. Stop. I don't I think, think I, I was one... trying to do that. I think I was... at one point I sent you a text. And I'm like, quit looking at me like that. Like you're going <laughs> to give it away. That's not your job. That's not I your think job. I was looking at you because you knew, you knew <laughs> what the what the answer was and how hard it was, and you knew it. Like I'm like you I get did. me right. Like you understand what I'm trying to say. I'm not crazy, right? Yeah, no, that's oh, so good. I love those types of games. But. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with One Night Ultimate Werewolf. I like yeah, it a lot. I want to play it yeah. more. I want to play it with a big group. Yeah, I mean, if you've ever gone have those conventions or whatever, there's always that one gigantic section where there's 20 seats or whatever and one person just runs werewolf all the time Mm -hmm. my one problem with like the basic werewolf is the player elimination you get eliminated in the first round you're pretty much done but i think one night ultimate werewolf there is no elimination you just you have the one time to figure out who's who yeah you just play one one game and try to figure it out with just one night and that's it and then we just played it a bunch of times yeah with different characters and what's cool is it's got all these different characters so all of the characters can do special abilities like you can switch switch with other people you can look at certain things like they all have unique abilities that give it which is really kind of cool and except for the villager the villagers don't do anything and you can actually play one night without any villagers so you can all at least get like a special power which is that would be nice yeah Mm -hmm. all right so for my recommends for this week I want to recommend a book called Children of Time. It's by Adrian Chelvowski, and it's about, it's set in the future. Uh, it's sci-fi, and for somewhat one reason or another, I don't remember why, they want to create, they want to, like, set out this planet way far away, and they want to, like, um, put some monkeys out there that are going to evolve really quickly to, like, make new humans because the world is falling apart. Um, I'm explaining it really poorly. That doesn't matter. Um, why is it every sci-fi book it has some sort of premise of the earth is falling apart yeah it feels like every single sci-fi book is that. yeah yeah people are doomsday gloomers whatever so they they're gonna they like put this chemical on the planet that is going to evolve these monkeys really really quickly so they're gonna make humans really fast and but the but the man- monkeys don't make it to the planet because humans don't think that they should be doing that um so the monkeys never make it to the planet so this chemical or whatever they put in there, and I'm, I'm probably explaining it really bad, uh, is still on the planet, and all, all that's on the planet are, are insects. So over time, these spiders, like, evolve, like, really rapidly and develop, like, intelligent life and a society. And this book um, chronicles all of the, the evolution of these spiders. So you've got these sentient spiders that have this big society and, and um and over time, like it, it like kind of progresses, like, you know, how they don't have any technology and then they develop technology and all this stuff. And at the same time, so there's that storyline that's happening. And then there's the storyline of the humans leaving Earth and coming to this planet, which is a really boring storyline. Like, it's pretty terrible. It's not it's hardly worth reading, but it's so worth the reading the book because the sentient spider timeline storyline is so interesting, like how these these spiders develop and and form this this um 
civilization and and the female spiders are the leaders and they don't respect the male spiders and that's problematic at its own and and then at one point the humans finally get there and they meet each other and there's a little storyline with that as well it's kind of a big it's i typically don't read heavy books like this and it's very long and kind of like especially the part about the humans because it wasn't interesting it was long. It was like eighteen hour book, but I uh, read it while I was painting my <sighs> kitchen cabinets, so I stuck through it, and I really liked the whole. You didn't read it. You didn't. Read I listened it. to it. You listened to whatever. It. That's not I, the same thing. I consumed thing. the story somehow, and it's really worth um, digging into and and listening to a reading because the sentient spiders was so cool. There is a sequel to it which I haven't read because it hasn't been available on um, audiobook because I just can't. <laughs> bring myself to sitting down and reading such a heavy book i like really need somebody to read it to me um but anyways i still recommend it so wait a sec hold on time out time out time out you said it's on audible Mm -hmm. right the first one is yeah and so what about the second one you said you can't sit down to bring yourself to read it you need somebody to read it to you and you refer to reading listening to an audiobook is reading it somebody is reading it to me but whatever yes so is it not available as an audiobook? The first one is available as an audiobook. I don't know that the second one is. I haven't looked recently. It probably is now. When was the last time you read a physical book? A, an actual book book? Like yeah. not like an ebook? Because I've read ebooks recently. I'll do ebook. When was the last time you read an ebook? Um, the last ebook I read was um the newest Outlander book. Um, and that was a few months ago. I don't know when it came out. Maybe oh, maybe so you January. Actually, you do legit read. I do read. Yeah. Huh. I just prefer okay, my bad, my bad. I just prefer audio. But I did read the entire Outlander series. And that those are really big, heavy, thick books, but I'm into them, so I don't mind reading them. It's funny you bring up the audiobook thing because I recently started listening to audiobooks. So my wife exclusively listens to audiobooks. And I have no qualms about people who listen to audiobooks. If that's how you consume it, cool. I do not like it when you say I read the book when you listen to Same it. Same thing. It, it feels different. It's not the same thing. So anyway, I started recently doing audiobooks, and I started listening to uh, the first book in the Dresden Files, oh, yeah. a Jim Butcher book. And the the guy who reads it, I can't, I can't, I simply cannot listen to that man narrate a book with the breathing and the and the like lip smacking that gets recorded it just drives me up a wall and i remember i was listening to the first 15 minutes i my drive to and from work is about 20 minutes so i was listening to it on the way home i got home and i i was talking to my wife and i'm like have you listened to this particular guy and i started playing it for her and she goes yeah i can't i can't she goes anytime i anytime i get a book with him in it she goes i just i get rid of it and i move on to something else cuz it simply cannot do it so the the reader makes a gigantic difference 100% that is very true the reader is really an actor like they they do voices like so good ones will do voices they they bring a lot of theme to it like a lot of energy and like the ambiance i guess like it's a whole experience listening to an audiobook it's not like you're listening to a robot read the book you know they're they're actors and and there are good ones and there's ones that people like and that you're going to re- like more than others so that's true one of the series i listened to they changed the the reader the and the second book series and it ruined the whole book for me i was like this is not the same person because it was read in first person and so now somebody else is reading it, it was bad 
So it just feels like a completely different person. Yeah, I'm like this is not the same book. And then they went back to the old person. The next book, I think maybe it was a different publisher, and because I picked him up as a library, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was it was a bad experience. I don't know. I'll still do some audiobooks. Like there's a I couldn't do that one. I'm just I'm just gonna physically read that book. Mm-hmm. I do have a question. So Elon Musk wants to populate Mars. Okay. Would you be down? Would you be like first in line to say, yes, I want to go to Mars? I would never get in uh, a rocket ship. I'll be last to leave Earth. Really? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have expected that, I guess. No, no, no. Hmm. I'm terrified of traveling. (laughs) That's right. You have to take your your meds or whatever. You get a queasy stomach. Yes. (laughs) Way too much anxiety. Can you imagine if you were on a rocket ship headed to uh, Mars, like how bad that would be? No. No, I would never. I would never (laughs) even consider it. I I fully support his plan. If people want to go, go for it. Have fun. I will be here finding out how it goes from Earth. <laughs> Fair enough. We're doing the so we're doing the dice tower cruise, and one of the things Natasha's like, "Hey, I got this. I got this medication, so I'm not gonna get motion sickness on the boat." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really good. excited about it. I just I just went to the doctor and got a fresh prescription, so I'm good to go. Yeah, nice. That's I'm awesome. I'm taking it on the airplane, the car ride to the airport. It's a patch, so I'll wear it the whole time. But and on the airplane, and then on the cruise, like it it would be there the whole time for me. That's hilarious. If you want to recognize Natasha on the boat, she's gonna be wearing a fanny pack and like a visor hat. So just if just know that that's her. That's Natasha. <laughs> fanny pack, visor hat, Natasha. Yep. Yep. That is true. I travel in comfort. <laughs> Something like that. All right, that's going to wrap up this segment. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to be getting into our top 100, the board game shenanigans, top 100 games of all time. All right, we are back. It's time to get into the board game shenanigans, top 100 games of all time. Natasha, explain to us how you formulated this list. Okay, so I wanted a, I wanted a top 100 of board game shenanigans favorite games of all time, right? A list of both of the games that we really enjoy. But I didn't want to exclude games that that we both love. Like I I I want to include all games like all games that you really love even if I don't like them and come up with a way to make that fair. So what I did is we rated all of our games. Um we had done a we each did a top 100 list a year or so ago. So we took that list And the past few months, we've been like kind of looking at each other's list, trying to play a few of some of our favorites that we haven't played so we can have a better judge, you know. Then we went through each of the other lists and grabbed out all the games. So all of your favorite games on your list, I added to my list. And you took all games that were on my list that you've played, added it to your list. So then we each had about 160 games that we went into the the ranking machine and ranked them all. So we got our top 160 games. And I would say like my 140 through 160 are not ones that would make my list at all. They're all like Bob's favorite games, right? And that's the same. Like I saw all your 140 through 160 are games that I really like that you just don't like at all. Mm-hmm. So then I went and compared them all and I took everything out of the list that were we both rated over 100. So if we both rated the game, like we both like Splendor quite a bit, but there, it's over our 100. You know, so I eliminated that game. So I limited all the games that were, you know, 100 on up for both of us. And so that made uh, that made my least favorite games on your list like 130 instead of 160, you know. So then I had to figure out what to do with the games that I haven't played. So Bob's like top three, his third favorite game of all time. I've never played it. 
So where do I put that in, in the ranking? You know, do I leave it at three because Bob loves it so much or do I average it? You know, do I put it, you know, at 130 for myself and then give it an average? So I landed on doing your method that you suggested, Bob. So I gave everything a score. So I did a score equal to the ranking minus 100 minus the ranking. So our number one favorite game is rated one. So it's a score of 99. So our, our, all of the games are scored 99 on down all the way through a negative. And then I added it up, added my score to your score. So if I rated a game one, got a score of 99. You rated it, um, you know, five, then it got a score of 95. So then 99 plus 95 would be the score of the game. Does that make sense? Yes. So then games that I did not play, I we we have a score of zero. So your, your game that's your third favorite game of all time has a score of 97 plus zero. And then I threw them all and then I ordered them highest to lowest. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And I ended up getting, um, let's see, a score of like, let's see, our number 100th game has a score of 36. So it's pretty low, like some of the lower scores. Yeah. But the, the you know, our number one game is probably going to be 197. You know, yeah. Yeah. Almost 200 points. Yep. Okay. So that's how I did the scoring. I found, I found, I went through a few different ways of coming up with that. I did like adding them up and then averaging them. I, you know, left like Bob's score of top three the same. I played with that. And they all kind of basically gave us the same results of the top 100. It's just the order was a little bit different. I should preference that I don't actually know what the list is. I kind of wanted to go into this blind and not know where games fell and just kind of react to where, where they ended up. But all right, let's get into it. What's our what's our number 100? Okay. So our number 100 is one of my favorite games. Um, this is, Bob has it listed as his 155th. So he definitely wouldn't even <laughs> have made his list if I didn't like the game so much. It has fallen for me. It used to be my number two favorite game of all time. And now it's my number 49. Bob, can you guess what it is? I've played it over 60 times. Uh, Deception, Murder, and Hong Kong. Nope. Nope. What? Awkward guess. My favorite uh, deduction yeah. game. One of my yeah, favorite okay. deduction games. It was my favorite. Now it's kind of dropped quite a bit because I've played it over 60 times. But I still love the game quite a bit. I think it's great. Bob does not <laughs> at all. It's okay. So to be fair, I don't think the game is that bad. It just, I'm not good at that type of deduction. Mm-hmm. You know, where in the information, sometimes you can get screwed over in the information flow. So yep. you could because you end up passing. Yeah, you're passing cards and you're getting sometimes the same cards over and over again, which puts you at somewhat of a disadvantage. So some of those people that have really good juicy bits of information don't want to give that up because they don't want somebody else to get that information. Yeah, I I love love this game. Played it over sixty, probably seventy times just this past year, um, and it it is starting to get a little stale. But I say that after sixty plus plays, so. You know, really good game. Really like it. I don't know that I'll continue playing it because I think I've played enough of it. <laughs> I think I've played it out. What if there was an expansion? Yeah, then I would jump all over that. There was a new a new one that just came out, like a, a new version of it, different theme and everything, but same mechanics. Um, but Tom Vassell from the Dice Tower gave it such a poor review, I didn't even look into it. What game was it? I forget what it was called. It, has, it even has a weird name about Scandal, Scandal something. Something or other. Mm-hmm. That is our number 100 awkward guest. So number 99 is a game we both enjoy. It's in our t- both of our top 100s in the 70s and 80s. 
It's a newer tile-laying game. You'll notice a lot of tile-laying games in this. Oh, um, I bet. I was thinking about that when I was making my list. Like, there's going to be a ton of those. <laughs> yeah, we both really like tile-laying games. And so this is a newer one that just came out. I will be surprised if it's on our list next year. Our Acropolis? Acropolis, yep. Yes. We both really like this game. It's fun, snappy, quick. Um, I don't know, just really, like, kind of generic, but still just fun to play. Yeah, it has those. It has that drafting somewhat element where you have a row of tiles that you're picking from, and you can get the ones for well, not drafting, more like splendor, not splendor, uh, more like sentry. If you want to get a tile that's further down, you have to like pay in mm-hmm. order to get it. So yeah, and just the way you're spatially building everything, I think just works really well. I think this game, if we don't play it more, will completely drop off the list just because it's. It's good. I think it's a solid game. I don't want to say it's forgettable, but if you don't play it, if you don't keep it in the forefront of your mind, it can just, it'll end up just drifting off into the ether. Yeah, I agree. I think it landed on our list because it's newer. I'm curious if it'll stay. I'll be surprised. Well, and we just recently reviewed it too. So it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was fresh in our in our minds. Yep. I think that's probably why. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's our number nine, Arcropolis. All right, 98 is one of my favorite games. Bob just missed his list at 101, and that's Five Tribes. So this game has has got is the it's got just a ton of meeples. You put them all over the board, and you kind of mandala style pick them up and drop them off wherever they land. You get to do that action. So the whole board is this giant puzzle where you're like, okay, what can I do? What's going to give me the best action turn? And your turns, you end up getting so many points that you bid on turn order with your points. So it's really very, very puzzly, which I enjoy. It's kind of got a bit to set up. You know, it's definitely AP prone, but that doesn't bother me so much. I like this game best at two players because you get two turns. And if you set yourself up well, you can do two turns in a row, which is really fun. This game hurts my brain whenever I play it, just because there's you're always looking for the best possible move in this game. So you'll just sit and stare at this board. And I think if I played it at higher player counts now, I don't know if I would like it as much, partly because a player's turn can take a really long time, especially if they're trying to think about stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't typically do super well in this game because I don't like to take too long in my turns. So a lot of times I'll just be like, all right, this move is good enough. Yeah, you have to. Otherwise, it's not fun. I wouldn't play this game with somebody who wanted to min min max their turn and make sure they had the perfect turn. It just wouldn't be fun. Yeah, I agree. It's a good game, though. Yeah, I think the part of the reason why it's not it didn't quite slip into the top one hundred for me is because of the brain burning aspect. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah. All right, that was our number ninety eight five tribes. Our number seven. No, sorry, 97. Our number 97 is one of Bob's favorite games. This is called Coffee Traders. Bob, you'll have to tell us about it because I have not played it at all. This hit 97, huh? Okay. It was your 62nd favorite game. Yeah, it was one of my favorite games from last year. So this is uh, a capstone game where there's a little bit of area control aspect as well as manipulating certain... I'm going to say stocks, but it's different types of coffee on your player board. So what you do is you're going to follow sequence throughout your turn. And what you end up doing is you're going out to these different areas on this board that produce different types of coffee beans. There's a little bit of area control aspect. Well, if you're putting out buildings, other players can, and you'll score based on how much majority you're going to have in the different areas. 
And then you're also trying to fulfill contracts on the side of the board with different types of coffee. You're trying to, you can sell individual beans to get, you know, specific points or whatever. It's one of those games. I like area control. So it gives you a little bit of that, but it also gives you this contract fulfillment aspect. You can develop your board in order to like keep coffee from round to round to round. Normally you can't keep too much, but then you can kind of manipulate how you want to do it. Maybe you go really high in this one particular type of coffee. Maybe you just do something so you can keep a bunch of uh, a variety of coffee, but at a lower count. And for the most part, it just kind of has a surprisingly enough has kind of like a smooth play to it. That's what I really like about it. It's just it gives it gives me a lot of little things that I really enjoy. Hmm. I think this is one I should definitely try. Well, it's also a capstone game and they've been putting out so much good stuff. Yeah, it looks cool. I I don't love stock manipulation. Like I really struggle with that um that mechanic in a game. And you're not necessarily uh manipulating stock. What you're you're basically doing is there's gonna be a variety of different coffee beans and you're trying to sell them specifically. You're manipulating how much you can keep on your board, is what I should say. Mm, so okay. you're you're able to keep so many beans round to round to round, and you're gonna be the one manipulating like you can fill in if you fill in a column, you can now keep two of each bean. If you fill in a row, maybe you can keep five of this particular bean, but only one of the other ones, that kind of thing. Oh, okay. Interesting. Is it puzzly then? Mm, yeah, there's. it's more, I think you're going to be slightly more reactive to what other people are doing. Mm. So if somebody's trying to get a lot of influence in this one particular area, maybe you go in there and try to offset that a little bit, that kind of thing. All right. That was our number seven, 97, Coffee Traders. I'm having, I'm struggling with these numbers. I've noticed. <laughs> All right. Number 96. Uh, another time laying game. It comes in on Bob's list at 63. Mine's uh, about 120, but I still really enjoy the list. Or Sorry, I really enjoy this game. That's Alhambra. Oh, I love Alhambra so much. Do this you? game is so good. Yeah. I don't know. Every time I've played it, it's one of those games that I teach new players a mm -hmm. lot. It's this and Ticket to Ride are like the top two, right, for me. Yeah. I There's just something simplistic about the turn structure. So you can do one of three things. You can take money, you can buy tiles, or you can, you know, rearrange your Alhambra. You do one of the three things and just it's the turns are quick. And I think I've talked about it before when we reviewed it. I think what really makes this game shine is when somebody can buy all four tiles at once. So if you pay with exact money, you can buy. And when you sweep a set of tiles, it just makes you feel good. And mm -hmm. anytime a new player's done it, I think they seem to really enjoy that fact. Yeah, I I enjoyed this game quite a bit. Um, I think it only suffers because it just looks a little dated. Like the art is really dated. I think if it came out with a new edition with like more modern artwork, it would do really well and resell it. Kind of be a big hit again. Yeah, it's a queen game. It's probably never going to get that. Is this the one that you got the gigantic big box for and you're just like, this is garbage? No, no, that's Carcassonne. That was Carcassonne. Got it. I, yeah. did, I did buy, I did get this one recently. I traded it at Math Trade and yep. um, I tried to teach my son and he just, he does not like any tile laying game. I haven't had any success besides, oh, I can't think of any actually. Um, Yeah, he just didn't enjoy it, but I still like tile laying games and my daughter likes them. So I will continue playing it. I do like it. Our number 96, Alhambra. All right, our 90, number 95, another favorite of Bob's. Um, I also enjoy this one a lot, another tiling game, Patchwork. It comes in at my one nine, uh, 149. So I still I really like this game a lot, but 
It just it's maybe surpassed by other tiling games I like a little bit better. But I think this is a great simpler one, right? It's small, two player only, easy to learn, still has a lot of complex decisions. Yeah, it's um it's probably one of the better two player tile laying games out there, I would say. Mm-hmm. I think it does a really good job with that. I do like the button economy and the time economy with it. There's definitely some good decisions that you have. And I've played this a ton with my wife and we we still bust it out and we still play it. And that's probably the reason why it's a lot higher on my list than it is yours is mm-hmm. I still play it quite a bit. Actually, this is one that my son likes. We we do play this one as well. So he does like tile laying games. So yeah, he does like this one. He likes polyomino games. Like he have had success okay, with yeah, yeah, yeah. polyominoes. All right. That was our number 95, Patchwork. Number 94 is my favorite. These next ones are mine. Bob, you're you're off the hot seat now. All right, cool. I'll just sit back and let you talk about them. Pretty much, because <laughs> this one is Fleet the Dice Game. So this came in at 56 for me and 141 for Bob. It wouldn't have made his top 100. Maybe no. this one. So I love rolling rights. Uh, Fleet the Dice Game was one of the first like more complicated rolling rights, and I loved it a lot. It's fun. Like there's two pages. You do all kinds of stuff. Like you have to like people are like, all right, ready to roll the dice. You're like, hold on, hold on. I'm still doing my bonus actions because it's just like combo bonus, all this stuff. And it's fun and I really like it. You know, this game might actually be higher in my list if I played it more recently, but it's been so long since I've played it. And it was it was during a time when I was like when I was completely against roll and write games because I was just getting so overwhelmed with as many that were coming out. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if I played it now, if it would do better on my list. Because I do have, I do. to be fair, I do have rolling rights on my top 100. You do. At least, mm-hmm. at least one that I can think of off the top of my head. But I don't know. It, it might be higher if I would play it more recently. Okay. Challenge so, accepted. I'll bring it. We'll play yeah, it again. Uh, yeah. Done. I like this one. You... You um ha- you collect boats and then you go fishing and you get points for each of your fish you catch. And there's fishing rounds. There's a way to get more fishing rounds. There's a way to get more boats. Your boats fill up. It's just it's just fun. Um, that is our number ninety four. Fleet the dice game, which leads us right into our number ninety three. Very similar game. Three sisters. Um, <laughs> I knew it. I knew this was going to be somewhere out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that they're back to back because they're. They're essentially the same game with a different uh, theme. I think they're, much, they're yeah. the same designers and whatnot. They both play exactly the same where you can either do this sheet or this sheet. And they just so many combos. Three Sisters is all about farming. And so you're planting beans and tomatoes and flowers and 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 then harvesting your fruits from the fruit trees. And it's just it's combo tastic. There's even a little notepad area to write everything down because as you're gaining all these combos, you're like losing track of how many bonus actions you get. First of all, you don't you don't actually plant tomatoes. They're pumpkins. They're pumpkins. Yeah. Okay. Get pumpkins. it right. Yeah. yeah. Pumpkins. Yeah. There's the, there's farmers listening to this that are getting mad at you for saying tomatoes. Tomatoes has nothing to do with corn and beans. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I meant, pumpkins. Yeah. Three Sisters is my number 44th favorite game of all time, and it's a little higher on Bob's list at 159. He likes this even less than Fleet. I like this better than Fleet because I like the theme even better. Which is surprising because I always thought I liked Three Sisters better than Fleet because of that, you know, that little Rondell piece uh-huh. that you had. I, re- I really like that portion of things. But when I was looking at those two games, I'm more inclined to want to play Fleet than I am Three Sisters. Because I think there's a little bit more comboing and a little bit more decision space in 
fleet than there is three sisters, even though they're extremely similar and the amount of combos you can do are very similar. I think, and maybe it's just the theme. Maybe I just like fishing better. I do like fishing in general. So maybe that's the reason. Hmm. Maybe that's why I like, I like gardening a lot. So three sisters speaks to my soul. Yeah, even though you don't know that it's I meant pumpkins. to say pumpkins. Sure. Yep. It just slipped yep. out. You are talking a lot more in this episode. Like in funny Which thing means is I'm gonna make more mistakes. A hundred percent. And it's funny because I'm sitting back here listening to you go through this list and I'm wondering to myself, maybe I should help introduce some of these games. <laughs> <laughs> nah. I'll just nah. Li- nah. <laughs> let me struggle. Yeah. All right. My number ninety two also is not a favorite of Bob's. It is a favorite of mine at sixty. And that's cryptid. Yeah, um, yeah, this I'm is out. pure deduction. So I like this game. I think it's I, so one of the things that deduction games really struggle with is how to pass along information. And it seems like if you can get the information first, you win the game. Um, this game, everybody is, you know, everyone has their own secret information. And then everything that we're sharing, everyone's sharing it with the whole group. So whoever wins this game is the first to successfully deduce and um, figure it out. It's not whoever can get the information to figure it out. We're like awkward guests. It's literally like crossing things out until you're left with nothing. You know, there's not a lot of like figuring things out. It's more of getting the information. Where cryptid, it's really all about figuring it out. And it's, it's purely deducing. And I think that's so good and so unique. The way they approach how they present information in the game with, okay, we're going to play this scenario. You know this, you know this, you know that. The way they're able to come up with almost the math behind it is incredible to me. The The way they're able to make that work is just incredible. But to for me, the way this game goes is we'll sit down and we'll start playing. And you start putting out your little bits. And then all of a sudden, somebody's just like, I'm right here. And I'm like halfway to knowing where this cryptid is and somebody already is like, yeah, it's right here. And there's a, does it meet your thing? Yes. Does it meet yours? Yes. Does it meet yours? Yes. Does it meet yours? And they come to me, did it meet yours? I'm like, uh, yeah. How do you, like, how did you figure that out? That's what I want to know. And that's why, <laughs> like, that's why this game's solo for me. <laughs> I want to play it more and we don't get to play it near as much. I would like to play it more. And I think it's so unique. It's definitely worth checking out. It's a pure deduction game. 100%. That's on number 92, Cryptid. All right, number 91 is another one of my favorites. Um, it's kind of the OG of board gaming for me, um, and that's Power Grid. So that one comes in at 51 for me, and originally it came in at 148 for Bob. So it's not a favorite of yours, Bob. No, not really. I think this one really um, has a place in my heart because I played it quite a bit when I first got into board gaming. And I was also really good at it and I won a lot. So that probably put it over the edge for me. So for me, I think the reason why it's so low on my list is, okay, to, before I even get into that, this game, when we're creating our list, didn't it was a game that I could have added to potentially be in my top 100 and I didn't. And I ended up having to add it because it was so high on yours. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why it wouldn't even hit my list is because the last time we played it, going into the very final round, there was zero chance I was going to win. And the thing is, I thought I was doing decently well in the game up until that point. And then literally the very last round, it was between Natasha and our friend Adine. It was between the two of them. 
And nothing the other players could do would affect that in any shape, way, or form, which isn't necessarily bad. But none of us had an opportunity to win. It was either you or him. Yeah. That we're going to win. It, we And that sours my experience with the game. The fact that you can go into that final round and say, all right, I have zero chance to win. Like, I can't even be a jerk and king make somebody because I just, I can't. I, there's, I, there's nothing I can do that will affect the outcome of the game. It's between the two of you. So there was... I remember playing that last round. They're like, Bob, it's, you know, I'm like, whatever, I'll just, I'll just do this because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And that really sours experiences for me. The That's fact that fair. you can go into like food chain magnet is a prime example. This, um, this past game night, I was talking with Dan about playing it and he's like, do you, you know, have you ever played it? And I was like, no, I'm honestly, I'm somewhat, I don't want to say scared, but like apprehensive to play that game because it can be so punishing. Mm-hmm. Like, I've heard if you mess up the first turn or two, you have zero opportunity to win. Yeah. And because of that, I don't want to play it. And I was chatting. And Dan's the type of player that if I would sit down and play it with Dan, he'd be like, you do not want to do that move because you will lose. So Dan's the type of player that will help guide you along. So everyone mm-hmm. has a positive experience playing that game. But still, with because of that, I like I just don't I don't know, even know if I want to go back and play it again. That's fair. And I, I, I don't know how much of that is because of how, how old it is. It doesn't have the, the, you know, modern mechanics and things like that, that games nowadays think about. It's just such a pure auction game. I really, really like it. I had a lot of fun playing it. You know, however, I have done well and I have not gone into the last round thinking I could lose, but it's certainly I've gone into the last round knowing I'm going to win or or at least, you know, be the second place. So I I see your point. I don't know that um, maybe with more experience, you wouldn't go into it not being able to lose, but there's certainly always going to be people behind. And it's yeah. one of those games that kind of builds off of each other. You you The better you do early on, the better you'll do later on because you'll have more money. Yeah, and the thing is, like I said, I don't think I was doing bad. It's not like I can go back and say, all right, it makes sense because I messed up so badly in the early part of the game. Because mm-hmm. I don't feel like I did. I probably did, but I didn't feel like I did. Mm-hmm. It just, yeah, it st- that in games frustrates me. So I'm trying to decide if I recommend this game to new gamers who are getting into the hobby now. Should you go back and play Power Grid? It's such a classic. I mean, if you get the opportunity to play it, absolutely check it out. I don't know that I would seek it out. No, I would say because no. Because I don't know that it holds its holds its weight against newer games i don't know i think i love it because of the nostalgia and the fun that i've had with it i don't think it i think it can be punishing to new people honestly it's one of those games that if you're a new gamer i wouldn't i wouldn't i probably wouldn't play it until you've experienced a lot of like other stuff and then if you're in the position to sit down and play it and do it i know we talked about like should you go back and do some of these old games and that's the thing is it it might be one of those things that gives you the nerd street cred like we called it, you know, we mm-hmm. talked about that. Yeah, I've played Power Grid or yeah, I've played Catan. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. I don't know. For me, I'm, I wouldn't recommend it to a new player. If somebody asked me about it, I would say no, just because it's that's such a sour experience knowing mm-hmm. you're done, you know, with a round left. And the thing is, it's not that many rounds. It's not like you're 30 rounds, you know. Fair enough. All right. That's my number 91. I still really like the game Power Grid. Our ni- 91. It's the board game shenanigans 91. As much 91. As, as much as I might not like it, it is our, ni- <laughs> our 91. R91. 
that is our top 91 through 100. So that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to talk about our top 81 through 90 games. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week.